Well, we big kids can have fun too, right? God is a God who loves us and he wants to have us have his joy in our hearts. And here at Faith Covenant Church, we believe that we can worship God and have fun doing it. Amen? My name's Kurt. I am one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. We hope that you feel like this is a safe place for you to check out God for the first time or perhaps for the first time in a long time. And as we are going on a journey of faith together, uh, we want you to feel like this is a place where you can uh, get back on a path in your own life, in your own spiritual life, where God is real and God is speaking to you and God is leading you forward. That's our hope and our prayer for ourselves and for everyone who comes to be a part of this faith community. So we hope that you hear a special word from God this morning. I do pray that God uses his word, that God uses my words now to speak to each one of us what he would have us hear through this message this morning. As we go on this journey of faith, one of the things that we, uh, we've been talking about is how God works in and through the circumstances in our lives. And there's these repeating patterns that we can identify through the stories and the characters of the Bible. And we can apply those to our lives today to understand how he's calling us forward and how he's at work through every experience that we go through. And today, one of the questions that I, I, I'd like to ask for us is, what is it that God is calling us to be? What is it God is calling us to do? What is it God is calling us to become? As we ask these questions, as we grow through life, even as as children grow up, that's always one of the questions. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do with your life? And that question really never goes away. Whether we're children of eight or children of 80, God continues to come and says, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I think one of the things that we understand as we go through life with God on this journey of faith is that as we look at our experiences of life and as we seek where God is at work in the midst of our circumstances, God teaches us that he, he gives us insights and clues as to how he wants us to move forward to become the people that he has designed us to be. This morning, I'd like to suggest to you, as we've talked about, that our mission as a church is to go and make disciples. But I've I've said we don't really understand what discipleship looks like as much anymore in our culture in the 21st century. And, and, And I think a lot of churches are not really making disciples anymore because we don't really uh, have a, a clear sense of how to do that. And I think part of that is because we have gotten so distracted and confused as to what a disciple really is. Last week we talked a little bit about how a disciple, by its name, is a learner. Somebody who learns for a lifetime is really what a disciple is. We are always learning. We're always growing. And today I'd like to add to that definition a little bit that discipleship is also leadership development. A disciple is a leader. Now, sometimes we talk about leadership, and and we we praise leaders, and we identify people that we look up to, and and as we think about leaders and leadership, we we think to ourselves, oh, that's that's someone else. That's not me. I'm not a leader. You know, I I don't get up on the platform and speak on Sunday morning. That's that's a leader. Uh, I I just kind of sit, and I I help out where I can, and I'm willing to support, but, but I'm not a leader. There's a young woman who was applying to go to college, and uh, she was filling out the application, and she got to a point where she got stuck because there was a question on the application that said, are you a leader? 
and she thought about it, and she struggled with it, and she thought, well, how should I answer it? And she felt like she, in her own integrity, needed to be honest, and so she put, no, I'm not a leader. And she sent the application off, figuring, oh boy, I've just kind of doomed myself here because they're probably looking for people who are, you know, leaders, and and they're going to reject me. To her surprise, she got an answer back from the college saying that she had been accepted. And in the college response, in the, the response from the college, they said, a study of our application process reveals that we will have 1,452 leaders at our school this year. <laughs> we are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> As we talk about leadership today, It's important, I think, to start off from the assumption and the understanding that every good leader knows how to be a follower. I would suggest you cannot be an effective leader if you first don't know how to be an effective follower. Because leaders know how to lead others to follow well. J. Oswald Sanders, who wrote a classic uh, book on spiritual leadership, says, essentially, leadership is influence. At its core, at its, at its basic definition, leadership is simply influence. And every one of us has the ability to influence another person in a positive direction. Every one of us has the ability to influence another person towards the kingdom of God, towards a relationship with Jesus Christ, towards a better understanding of how God is calling them, towards a better understanding of how God has wired and designed them to be the best person that they can be. In this definition, then, everyone has the the option and the possibility of being a leader. You see, the, the difference is not whether you're a leader or whether you're not a leader. It simply is your sphere of influence. Some people are called to lead large nations. Some people are called to lead large organizations and corporations. Some people are called to lead churches. Some people are called to lead small groups. Some people are called to lead children in their homes. Some people are called to lead their friends at school. Some people are called to lead their coworkers in the workplace. Leadership is a universal call of those who are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. The question is not whether we're called to be a leader or not a leader. The question is simply the capacity that God has given us to lead in the place where he's planted us. Many of you who've been in church for a long time have probably heard and are familiar with the infamous 80-20 split. That's this uh, understanding that 80 per, or 20% of the people in a church do 80% of the work. And we, we, we hear this all the time in, in church circles and in leadership circles, and there's always this bemoaning of, why, why don't more people step up and want to help lead in the church? Well, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that part of the problem is that we've, we've lost an understanding of what true discipleship really is. And so as churches and as faith communities, we don't train and encourage people on how to understand what their call to be a follower of Jesus Christ is really all about. Because if we understood that, we would know that already today we have 100% leadership participation in this church. As long as you are a person who's influencing one other person, you are a leader, you are making a difference, you are participating in the mission of the kingdom of God. Part of the challenge is that we have allowed an understanding that there's kind of an A team and a B team in, in leadership, right? 
Those who uh, maybe go to school and get a degree and have the plaque on the wall, uh, they get a title and a position and maybe a paycheck. Those people are leaders. But the people who don't have those kind of street credibility and those kind of uh, accolades don't really qualify at the same level of leadership. And so we have a few people who really are qualified as leaders and a few people are not, or a lot of people who are not. Or we have a few other people who are the ones who are willing to kind of step up and get really involved and they take on a lot of responsibility and and, and they get a lot of the, the notoriety because they're doing a lot of the work. And that's true. There are a lot of people who do a lot of the work. And then we, we consider them leaders, but everyone else is, is not a leader. But you see, the reality is there is no A team and B team when it comes to leadership in the church. There's only different spheres of influence. Yes, there's different callings, there's different capacities that he gives us. But we are all part of the same mission, and we all are called to use the gifts that he's given us to be leaders in our own sphere of influence. This is where I also think we've, we've come to uh, misunderstand a little bit about what it means to be a member of a church. In our culture, we have so many different memberships that we, we participate in, right? We've got a gym membership, and we, we have book clubs, and we have all these different things that we sign up for to be a member but, but we have more of this club mindset where we subscribe to the club, but we're more a beneficiary of the club rather than, than a, a direct partner or a, an owner. And I think that's where we have to begin to understand what church membership is in terms of in how it's different from a club membership. If you are a member of a church, it's really more like being a member of a family. If you're a member of a family, I know in our family, uh, you have to early on start to have your own list of chores, right? You have to, you know, pick up the dog poop and take out the trash and help wash the dishes and do the different things. Well, why do I have to do that? Well, you're a member of this family. See, being a member of a family is not like being part of a club. It's being, it's being a full partner in what it is that we're doing. It's, it's being a, an owner, and, and owners have responsibility to help do the work to make sure that everything is functioning properly. And I'd also like to suggest this morning that people will only rise to our level of expectation of them. And so if we have a fundamental misunderstanding of discipleship and a misunderstanding of leadership in the kingdom of God, and we have a misunderstanding of what it means to be a member of a church— then the expectations that we have for one another are all askew as well, and and we don't even really understand what it is that we can aspire to or how to become a full-fledged member of a church in the kingdom of God. Last week, we talked about Moses' mom and Moses' mom and dad and how they made it into the, the hall of fame of people of faith because of their trust in God and their willingness to take a risk. And because of their risk, Moses was able to survive and be adopted into the Pharaoh's household through uh, one of his daughters who adopted him as her son. And God worked it out so Moses' mom was still able to nurse him and take care of him as as a young boy until he grew and and she sent him back into Pharaoh's uh, court and where he grew to be a prince of Egypt. 
As we go on in the story of Moses, we discover that he, he apparently never lost his, his understanding that he was a part of the family of God. He, he was a Hebrew child. And one day he was out and about checking on his people and he saw that some of the slave masters, the taskmasters, were, were abusing some of the Hebrew workers. And so he got so angry that he lashed out and he ended up killing one of, one of the guards. And the Bible says he buried him in the sand and tried to, to hide what he had done. But found out later that a, a couple of his fellow Hebrews had said, Hey, you know, uh, you're you going to do to us what you did to that Egyptian? And he goes, Uh-oh, the word's out. And of course, Pharaoh found out and tried to kill him. So, so Moses had to flee. He, he ran from Egypt and he went from being a prince of Egypt to being a shepherd out in the desert. Where he met a family and... He fell in love and got married and started having kids and became a, a shepherd. And that was his identity. That's what he thought he was supposed to do. And he's out there for years and going on with his life. Until one day, out of the blue, God comes a knocking on his door. And in Exodus 3, we could say that God rings Moses' bell. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel, or the messenger of the Lord, appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what will I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Here again in the life of Moses, we can pull out some basic patterns of how God works in a person's life and develops us as we go through this life of faith. And we see again, it starts with a call to go. 
Moses is just minding his own business, shepherding the flock, and God shows up in a miraculous way, gets his attention, and says, I'm calling you to go because my people are in need. I have heard their cry. I, I feel for their suffering. Their, their, their experience is breaking my heart, and I, I need someone to go who is going to speak for me and to lead for me and to lead them out of this land of Egypt. But you see, Moses has a problem because he doesn't see himself as a leader. He's thinking of all the reasons why God should not consider him for the job. Who am I, God? Why why would you consider me? Do you know where I've been in my life? Do you know the things I've done in my life? Of all the people you would send to Pharaoh, I'm probably not the best guy. You know, when I step in and lead, people die. (laughs) oh and later on we find out you know god he says i i don't even speak well i i stutter i can't even talk i i don't have the gifts i don't have the ability I, i i'm not your man but god says don't worry about it because it's not about you it's about me and he says i will be with you and see that's the that's the key factor right there that's the game changer When God is with us, anything is possible. When God is with us, he supplies all our need. When God is with us, he gives us everything we need to do the things that he's asked us to do. It's not about whether or not we can do it. It's about whether or not we're willing to allow God to do it through us. See, there's an old acronym that that I was taught when I was a younger person, and it stuck with me, and it's kind of hokey, so I I, I hesitate to bring it up, but but it's helpful, and it works. And I know you guys are all on the Daniel plan, and and you're you're trying to get fit and everything, but but I I believe that God calls us to be fat. (laughs) I do. It's a great acronym. Faithful, available, and teachable. That's all God ever asks of us as leaders, as disciples. Be faithful. Be committed. Be present. Show up. Don't don't run and hide and stick your head in the sand. Just trust that God has a plan. And even in the darkest moments, if you're faithful to God, He will be faithful to you. And then be available. There's a lot of people who who come and they're committed and they say, Yeah, yeah, I'm all in. I'm faithful. I'm here But then when you call them and you say, hey, I need you, well, I'm busy doing this, and oh, I'm going to be on the golf course this weekend, and oh, you know, I've got the the basketball game, and oh, the Huskies are playing Saturday night. I'm just not available. And then there's some people who are faithful, they're committed, and and they're available, they're they're making time, and they're making themselves available, but but you try and work with them, and you say, you know, you're you're doing okay, but, but you need to work on this a little bit, you need to improve this area and they just don't want to hear it. They're just not teachable. They're just not willing to, to hear that they don't have it all together and they don't already have everything that they need. You see, God is willing to work with us if we're willing to be faithful, available, and teachable. That's all he asks of us. He can supply the rest. He can work in our lives to teach us the skills that we need. He can bless us with gifts that we didn't even know we had if we're willing to be faithful, available, and teachable. And so he's working on Moses' heart, and, and he's countering all of Moses' objections. He says, Moses, it's not about you, it's about me. If you'll just be faithful, if you'll just make yourself available, 
and stay teachable, I'll walk you through this process. It kind of reminds me in some ways of some of the teachings of Jesus when he was talking with his disciples. I don't know if you remember the parable of the soils where he says, you know, sower went out to sow seed and some fell on the path and the birds came and picked it up and some fell on the rocky soil and it kind of put roots but it died because it didn't, couldn't go down deep and uh, some was thorny soil and it went in and it started to grow but the thorns came up and choked it out but then there was a good soil and that's the one where the seed planted and it rooted and it grew and at the end of that parable, he says, it grew, and some produced a hundredfold crop, some produced a sixtyfold crop, and some produced a thirtyfold crop. And so already in Jesus' teaching, he's identifying that the good soil, where, where the Word of God sinks in and, 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 and begins to produce fruit, is going to be true for all of us, but it's going to be different for all of us. That different soils have different capacities. So your leadership call might not be to go and lead a nation. It might not be to lead a whole church, but it might be to lead a small group. It might be to take the passion that God has given you for a, an area of need in our community and to, to lead a team of people to go make a difference in that area. You know, you might not be a leader of hundreds, but maybe you'd be a leader of 30. Or maybe you'd be a leader of five. Maybe for you, it's a, a leader of one to start. You know, maybe there's just one other person that, that, that God has kind of put on your heart to say, you know, this person just needs some encouragement. I see so much potential in them, but they're just not, they're not living the way that they need to, or they just don't seem to be getting it. And maybe if I just came alongside and, and invested in that one person and said, you know what, I'm going to use whatever God wants to, you, you know, give me to give to this person to see if I can help them become a better person disciple, a better leader in their lives. All good soil produces a crop, yet different crops have different production capabilities. Same kind of thing happens in the parable of the talents, or as the new uh, version in NIV says, the, the, the parable of the bags of gold, right? Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. He said it's, it's like a ruler who went away on a long trip and he had three servants, and he gave them uh, different amounts of gold to, to invest for him. You know, one he gave one bag of gold, one he gave three bags of gold, and one he gave five bags of gold. And the guy with five bags of gold went and invested it and made five more. The guy with three bags of gold went and made three more. And the guy with one was afraid because he knew he was a tough master, and he went and hid it in the dirt. When the master came back, he called them in for an accounting, and he went through one by one, and the ones who had invested the money that he had given them, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. He said the same thing to the, the man with five bags of gold and the one with three bags of gold. But the one who buried it in the ground because he was afraid, he had a few other choice words for him. <laughs> But you see here in another teaching of Jesus is Jesus' understanding that not everybody has the same capacity. God doesn't ask everyone to invest the same amount or to get the same results. The question is, are you willing to invest what he's given you? That's what he's looking for. He's looking for people who are willing to be faithful and available and teachable. Bobby Clinton, who's a great professor at Fuller Seminary, and I was able to take a few courses with him, talks about this as being the little big principle. He was faithful with a little, 
will be given much. And I think that's where we get off track because we, if we start to think of ourselves as leaders, we somehow need to step up and become you know, some grand big leader of you know, something huge or, or we can't lead. But Jesus is saying, if you, if you can prove yourself faithful with the little bit that I give you, then you're demonstrating that you're, you're available and you're teachable and I can give you a little bit more. And if you're faithful with that, then I can give you a little bit more. And so we see that there's a pattern of growth and development that God walks us through where, where he's expanding our capacity and he's, he's giving us lessons that allow us to, to handle more and more. And this is where I think when we hear this parable of the bags of gold, we get so focused on money, don't we? You know, oh yeah, I got five bags of gold, I'm going to go get it, I'm going to get five more bags of gold. But you see, what we don't realize is that he's not talking about them getting wealthier, he's talking about giving them more responsibility. See, these are managers of his money, not owners of his money. He's, he's giving his own money to these financial managers to invest and to manage and to, to grow his own wealth. And too often I think we, we hear money and we think, oh, God's blessed me with five bags of gold and if I go invest it, I'm going to get five more bags of gold and I'm going to be rich. No, you're going to get the headaches <laughs> and the responsibilities and the worries of, of managing the things that God is giving us. Leadership comes at a price. Leadership is hard. Leadership is difficult. It's not easy to be a leader. And that's why so many of us, I think, shy away and step back and go, you know what? <laughs> I'll let somebody else have the headaches. But see, what we miss out is that, that God wants to use those experiences of, of stepping up and taking responsibility to grow us and to stretch us. Going through those leadership growing challenges is what helps us to understand what it is that he ultimately has for us. See, God wants to develop each one of us to our full potential. But so few of us, I think, even understand what our full potential might be. Because we shrink back from the difficulty of, of having to take more responsibility and to you know, have God be relying on us to be managers of his kingdom. I'd like to just suggest that there are three kind of patterns in this leadership development process that we can see in the life of Moses. And you really see these in, in other leaders as well. And we're just going to go through them real quickly. Maybe some other time we'll have a chance to kind of go into depth in each one because I think each one is really significant. But the first one is if you are willing to step out on the, the path to leadership, whether it's small or great, you have to understand that God will bring you to seasons in life where, uh, where you will experience what Bobby Clinton calls boundary experiences. When you come through from one season of life and you're moving to the next season where God wants to expand your capacity, God wants to expand your vision, God wants to uh, lead you to that next sphere of influence, you will have these boundary experiences between one season of life and the next where all of a sudden it seems like maybe God has gone away. God has gone silent. Everything gets confusing. I thought I was on this trajectory, but now it doesn't make sense. This path isn't clear to me anymore. Where is God? How could this happen? And what we see is if you look through the pattern of, of the lives of, of leaders through the Bible and, and other Christian leaders, we discover that God often takes us to a point of disorientation so that we can be reoriented to the new thing that he wants to do for us. Old Testament professor Walter Brueggemann calls this the pattern of orientation to disorientation to reorientation. Think about Jesus' disciples. These 
Hebrew fishermen who left their nets and their, their, their fishing to follow Jesus. And they're walking along Jesus, and they're thinking he's the Messiah, right? I mean, they're, they're convinced. They're, they're sold out for Jesus. And they're thinking, you know, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, we're going to sit on your right and your left hand, right? We're going to be people of influence. We're going to be people of power. They're all into this, right? The, the kingdom of Israel is coming to earth. Those Romans better watch out. And then all of a sudden, he gets nailed to a cross and dies. And he's stuck in a grave. How could that be? What do we do now? The Bible says they went and they hid in an upper room because they were confused and they were disoriented and they didn't know what to do. And they they lost all sense of direction. We thought that we were were bringing in the kingdom of God and and now Jesus goes and dies. Was he really the Messiah? Did, Did we not understand what do we do? And on the third day, he, he comes alive, and he comes and he, he sees him in this upper room, right? And he says, here, t- touch my hands, you know, put your finger in the wounds in my side. And their mind is blown. And what they thought Messiah was supposed to be totally becomes another idea. And, and they, they launch out on a whole new trajectory. Their orientation to being this, you know, Hebrew mindset became disorientation, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ completely reoriented their whole understanding of what life and and this world was all about, and those early disciples changed the rest of human history. And you and I are here today because they were willing to be faithful and available and teachable to what God was doing in their lives. So we have to pay attention to those boundary experiences in life because it might just be that God is calling us to to step up into a new thing that he's wanting to do. The second thing is it means that we have to be able to embrace change successfully. We talked about last time that change is always happening. And then we see the life of Moses. Here he is, a, a prince of Egypt, and all of a sudden his life takes a total right turn. But God has, has more change for him to come. And, and it's how are we willing to accept that God is bringing new things into our life and are we willing to work with God so that those changes become a part of his plan or do we resist and try and control? And finally, the third thing is we need to accept the leadership challenge. We live in a day and an age where so much leadership is needed. We have an infinite number of ministries and needs in our community and in our church. And we need leaders who are are willing to step in and not just be club members, but are willing to take responsibility, to to take ownership of, of the church, to take ownership of the needs of our community, to take ownership of our city. I believe God's heart is is for for the city. And he's turning churches inside out. And, and he's turning people's hearts to the needs of the people. And I think as we do that, uh, we will find an infinitely expandable uh, list of, of needs out there. And, and there's, no, there's no amount of staff people that we can hire <laughs> that are going to allow us as a church to go do that. There's no, there's no amount of, of uh, you know, current leaders or, or committees that we can put together that are going to be able to manage all of the need that God has for us to address. It's going to take all of us together collectively saying, I am a leader, and I'm willing to take responsibility for at least the sphere of influence that I believe God is calling me to lead in. So this morning, the question is, where are you leading? Where are you? And if you're not, or if you are, what's one step you could take forward? 
What's one thing that you could do to become more faithful, to become more available, and to become more teachable to the thing that God wants you to do as part of his kingdom, as part of this family of faith? Because we've got a, we've got a list of chores. If you don't know what to do, you can come talk to me. I'll, I'll put you to work. We've we got lots of things to do. And, and, and that's what we need to be doing, though, is we need to be talking about where is God working? What is God calling us to do? How can we come together? to meet the needs not only of, of one another in our community, but where is God leading us as a faith community? How are we participating in each of the areas that God is calling us to lead in? Would you pray with me? God, you are always at work and you're always challenging us, even in the midst of our difficulties, you, you buoy us and you invite us to see your hand in the midst of uh, all of those boundary experiences in life where we go from one season to the next. And a, as we are kind of in a, in, in a boundary season or maybe coming out of a boundary season as a faith community, God, would you continue to invite us to, to see how you have used this season to shape us and to prepare us for this new thing that you want us to be doing? And as you do, God, we come to you today, as we did earlier, bowing our knees at your cross, recognizing that your call in our lives is one that invites us not only to be learners, but to be leaders. Would you teach us this morning, God, where you want each of us to take that next step to be leaders for your kingdom and who you want us to influence in the name of Jesus Christ, whose we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to receive the offering, and as we do, I just invite those who are members of the church and, and are regulars at our church to, uh, to be those who give, and if, if you find it in your heart and you're new to us, that's, that's our responsibility. If you'd like to do that, that's fine, but um, let it be our responsibility as, uh, as the, the church members and our opportunity, so I'd like to call the ushers forward as we receive the offering today. Sing it together.